If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. Very familiar passage of Scripture, but a very encouraging one. And as we do, let's remind ourselves that it was on the first day of the week when the, uh, the ladies came to the tomb at the very crack of dawn, very beginning. That it, in fact, they left, the Scripture says, basically, we'll find out, they really left probably at dark so they could get to the tomb just as the first light was coming up because that meant the Sabbath was over and they would be able to prepare Jesus' body. And this was the first day of the week. This wasn't like, you know, we look at Sunday now as part of the weekend, but this was the work week. And so the Sabbath was over at the first light there on, on Sunday morning. And so they were going to go and prepare. And, you know, I, if you read my post on Facebook, I posted something from my friend Jim Eloff the other day that I thought was really insightful. There's nowhere in the Scripture anywhere that the church is instructed to celebrate Easter. It may be some sort of surprise to you, but there really isn't any scriptural instruction that we should celebrate Easter. And, and really, the first known celebration of Easter wasn't until about 200 years after the resurrection of Christ. But here's what did happen. Those first century believers, the Scripture is very clear that we're to gather together uh, on, a, on a regular basis and to, to, uh, to share the good news, to encourage one another with songs and spiritual songs and reading of Scripture. And so we do know this, within, within, within days of Jesus' resurrection, as the church in, in Acts begins to form, they, they choose to meet not on the Saturday, but on Sunday. And so they, they met every first day of the week, to celebrate Easter every week. That's what they did. They didn't just wait once a year to celebrate Easter. When they gathered on Sunday morning, those early Christians, they were gathering on the day at daybreak when Jesus arose. And, and it was not a, it was not a, a day of rest for, for the rest of the world. They had to either come before work on Sunday or come after work on Sunday. And that's what they did. And for many people around the world, that's still true. Sunday is not a a day off. And so believers who gather must come early or late. So I just wanted you to realize that you're part of this amazing tradition of 2,000 years of Christians all around the globe who gather on the first day of the week, on Sunday, to signify and to celebrate the resurrection. It's great that we do it once a year in a sort of a big fashion, but that's why we gather every Sunday morning, because every Sunday morning we celebrate the resurrection, because without the resurrection, there would be no church. And it's everything everything. So we're going to look at that this morning. So Matthew's gospel in the 28th chapter. Verse, we'll begin at the first verse. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, the Sabbath is over when the sun comes up. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Now, the gospel writer Mark tells us that as they were going, they were talking among themselves and concerned about how they were going to manage to move the stone. You realize Jesus had, had been crucified on Friday before sundown, before the Passover began. They hurriedly placed his body in this tomb and weren't able to really prepare his body. And so all weekend, literally all the Sabbath, these women were waiting, 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 uh, anticipation of the sunrise on the first day of the week when they could, they could go finish the work of caring for the body of Jesus. So great was their love and affection for the Lord. They, they had no idea he was alive. They assumed, obviously, he was still dead, but that didn't want prevent them. They, they, you can imagine they had to rise before dawn to get ready to leave the house, to travel as far as they had to travel to get to the, to the tomb 
Many of us on Sunday morning maybe sleep as late as we can just to get to church, and we don't think about rising early on Sunday morning. When I was a kid, you know, we always had sunrise services. We don't do those as much anymore. It was a very cultural thing when I was a child. You always had a a sunrise service. And I remember going to them. Often it was chilly and cold, kind of depending on when Easter was, and they were outdoors. And, and, uh, but they were very, very impactful. And you think, well, why, you know, the commitment of getting up that early. My goodness, you know, these women got up earlier than that, and they didn't know Jesus was alive, right? So why not get up early when you know he is? But nonetheless, it was this darkness. They left in the darkness, and, and the gospel writer Mark tells us they were concerned about the stone and who was going to move the stone and how that was going to be taken care of. Because the Scripture tells us that, that, that he was in this borrowed tomb, and, and they, the stone was rolled. So it's a round stone, probably sort of rolled into a, down a hill, a, a, little, a little crevice and, and, and placed there, and it would take a tremendous amount of strength and men to roll it back out. But beyond that, the Romans had sealed it with the Roman seal. And to break that seal would be to break Roman law and so that no one would steal his body. And beyond that, the Romans posted guards there. <laughs> so these women are leaving to take care of the body of Jesus, knowing all of these obstacles were going to be in their way. First of all, who's going to move the stone? Secondly, what about the soldiers? Would they even give them permission? And thirdly, what about breaking the Roman seal? That is a punishable crime. And after all, Jesus was crucified. Perhaps they would be killed as well. A lot of hindrances, but yet their love for Christ was so strong that they wouldn't let any of that prevent them. It's an amazing picture of these women who, again, not, not, not knowing that he was resurrected, believing that he was still dead, but loving him so much, they wanted to finish the work of caring for his body. Some of you in this room know what's that is somewhat what that is like when you lose a loved one. And at that point, you want to make sure you do everything you can to take care of all the arrangements, give them all the honor and respect that's due them. Similar were these women. So Mark's gospel tells us they were concerned about what to do about stone and the soldiers and the seal, but they went ahead in the darkness anyway. Matthew's gospel tells us, verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. (laughs) And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Go back and read the Gospel of Mark's account of these women discussing among themselves who's going to move the stone away, but they went ahead and went on anyway. There's a whole other sermon there about moving out in the darkness when there's all kinds of obstacles and reasons when things can't happen, but God will always do what God does for us. And if we are focused on Him and love Him and stay true to Him, it doesn't mean there won't be obstacles in our way. There will be. It doesn't mean you won't have difficulties and challenges. You will have. It doesn't mean you might not face illness and, and, and suffering and, 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 and separation from loved ones. You will. But He will overcome all of those things with His grace and His power and His strength. There is a whole different sermon there about, about that. These women, this the faith of them to get up before dawn after a terribly 
draining, emotionally draining weekend. Why not just stay home? It's all over anyway. It wasn't the men who got up early, was it? It wasn't Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the sons of thunder. It was the women who loved him anyway. And they didn't know how they were going to move the stone, and they didn't know how they were going to talk to the soldiers, and they didn't know how they were going to break the seal, but they were going to just go anyway. You ever know anybody like that? You ever know anybody who, in the face of unbelievable, unimaginable obstacles, just believes God for what he says and just keeps heading straight into the darkness? I want to be with people like that. So God took care of it. And, and these guards who were trained to be fearsome fighters were terrified. And the stone was no match for the angel. I've told you many times since I've been here, and if, if, if we get to stay a little longer, we'll do a, a short series on angels because it's important. There are, angels are real. And as I said, they don't look like precious moments. They're not little girls. They don't have little wings. They are fierce, powerful Angelic beings created by God, messengers. And they are strong and they are powerful and they are fierce and they protect us and they do God's work in many ways. It's an amazing, amazing story to look at. And here's one with this angel comes and roll back the stone and then he sits on it. And, it, and, and Matthew describes his appearance was like lightning. Remember the other night, if you were out, you saw how much lightning we had, those storms. I don't care how, how, how advanced we become in our culture, and how many iPhones we have, and how many flat screen TVs we have, and how many satellite communications we have. If you're caught out in a lightning storm, it scares the daylights out of you. You feel small and insignificant when you see the power of all this lightning. And Matthew's gospel says this angel, his appearance was like lightning, and he was clothed as white as snow. And for fear of him, these Roman guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. For I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. And then the angel said, come and see the place where he lay. And then go. Quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee, and you will see him there. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they looked at him, and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. He said, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take these words and apply them to our heart in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. The resurrection is everything. Good Friday made it abundantly clear that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That that dark hour when the darkness arrived at noonday and stayed for several hours, that was the arrival of God's wrath poured out upon his own perfect son, for the sin of all who would be redeemed, for all of our sin of those of us who would be redeemed. Every, every, every prideful thought, every hateful word, every deceitful action, every theft, every murder, every crime ever committed by anyone who would be redeemed, at that moment a holy God placed all of those on his own son. And when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
he was an object of his father's wrath, having been so closely connected to the father in his entire life here on earth. But at that moment, he was an object of his father's wrath, and his father poured out his wrath upon his own son so that people like you and me, unworthy, unfit, undeserving, could be completely sin-free and enjoy God for all eternity. That's what took place on that Friday on the cross. But if that's all it was, if there was no resurrection, the Apostle Paul says, if Christ be not raised, we are, our preaching is foolish and pointless. And you have some people who say, well, Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. His disciples, his followers just reignited his memory and yada, yada, yada. That's just not true. You know how many, each one of these disciples except for John, who died in exile on the island of Patmos. They were all, we've been through almost all of them. We'll pick up with it next week or the week after. But you realize they were all crucified or thrown into the sea or beaten beyond recognition or killed for their faith in 40 years, 50 years, and not one of them ever recanted. And all those who saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead and were persecuted and, and killed, no one recanted. You wouldn't keep that kind of lie going for all those years if it was no truth to it. You would die for it because you know it's true. And if he wasn't raised from the dead, if the tomb is not empty, then we have no hope. But because he was, we have all the hope in the world. And we're going to talk about that right here. One of my favorite, I've got three or four favorite preachers. Two of them are dead, so they're not going to, not going to disappoint me uh, in life. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who died in 1981 from, from England, and prior to Martin Lloyd-Jones, sort of, his, sort of his father in the faith in some ways, I guess, would be Charles Spurgeon. Um, those are two of my favorite. In modern, I, I really enjoy Alistair Begg and get a lot out of him. But uh, this sermon I'm going to unpack just in the next few minutes we have left. These points really came from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached many, many Easter's ago, and they've just impacted my life, and I, I look forward as many Easter's as I can to bringing these wonderful truths that that great English preacher brought to his congregation over 100 years ago. He's talking about the stone. Now, look, I realize we have the cross everywhere. I, I get that, and that's good, and, and it's a symbol of Christianity is the cross because, listen to me, without the cross, there's no forgiveness of sin. The cross is where Jesus paid the price for our sin. But without the empty tomb, it would have meant nothing. So I've always said, if I ever had a chance, if God ever allowed me to, and I'm getting up in years, it's probably not going to happen, but if he ever allowed me to plant another church or be a pastor of another church, and we were going to put something in the front of the, if we were going to build a building, I, instead of having a cross out there, I think I would have a great big round stone out there. Because it's the fact that the stone was rolled away that gives us our hope. I know as a child, and I, I don't want to, you know, I, I would see on movies and TV, I was raised Baptist, all right? So I was, my dad was a Baptist pastor, and my great-grandfather was a Baptist. So I, I would see, but on movies and television, I would see crucifixes. And we would go to different places, and sometimes you'd see a crucifix, Jesus hanging on a cross. I remember one day asking my dad, I said, how come in our, in our crosses in our church we don't have any pictures of Jesus really hanging on the cross and in our, all of our crosses it's, he's, there's no Jesus there? I'll never forget. I was a little kid. And what a lesson my dad taught me. My dad said, because he's not on the cross. He's in heaven. The cross is empty. <laughs> the cross is he's in heaven. He's not there any longer. He was there long enough, but he's not there any longer. And if he's still there, he's not a risen Savior. 
And so I never really, never really put those two things together in my mind. And so, so I realized that it's not, it's, it's the cross is important, but it is the, it is the empty tomb that, that gives us our hope for life eternal, life everlasting. And we're going to look at that here because we're going to let the, as Spurgeon said, we're going to let the stone teach the lesson this morning. First of all, the stone that we say, this angel is seated on this stone. Here's this barrier, right? Between, between, between these women who wanted to minister to the body of Jesus and anoint it with oil and take care of it for burial, and, and they get there, and the, burial, the, the, the stone's been moved away, and, and the, the guards have fled, and, and here, sitting on that stone, just resting there, is this amazing angel. He says, you don't have a thing in the world to be afraid of. It's Jesus who is dead. He's alive. Just go and tell everybody about it. And so in a very real sense, that stone is a sermon preached. It's a sermon preached that death is not the end. It's a sermon preached that Jesus has come to defeat both sin and the grave, that we don't have to be fearful of death anymore. I'm not suggesting we embrace it. I'm not suggesting we're not somewhat anxious about it. I'm not suggesting we would rather not die right now. But I am suggesting that for those of us who are in Christ, it is not the ultimate enemy. It has already been defeated. And we know that because the stone speaks of that. The stone was rolled away. The stone preaches about the resurrection. The stone preaches that life happens after death. The stone preaches that Jesus rose so that we all might live. The stone preaches Jesus died that he might kill death forever. The stone preaches, if we had a big round stone out in front of our church, it would preach to the whole world that this thing that we fear the most, death, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much wealth you have, doesn't matter how much fame you have, we are all going to die. Scripture says it's appointed unto man one time to die, and after that comes the judgment. But because the stone was rolled away, because the tomb was empty, we don't have to be fearful of death. It has been defeated. The stone preaches. It preaches about the resurrection. It preaches about eternal life. It preaches about the love of God for his own creation so that he would not have any of us perish, but that we would all have eternal life. The stone preaches that there is hope for all of us, the most despicable sinners, the most rabid and most most unworthy humans. There's hope for all of us. The stone preaches that loudly. The stone is a sermon preached. And again, if you think about walking into a church every Sunday and seeing a big round stone there, you go, wow, that stone was rolled away. That tomb is empty. And because that tomb is empty, I know I will live eternally. Because that tomb is empty, I know that even though my loved ones have gone on, if they were in Christ, we'll be together again. If that tomb is empty, there is no death for me to fear. What an amazing truth. No one else has that truth. Only the church of Jesus Christ has that. And it is powerful. And the stone preaches that sermon. It is in every way a sermon preached. It's also a trophy set up. Think about it. In the olden days, when a battle was won, they would build a monument to that battle and say, this is where it was won. I remember taking my kids the first time, my boys the first time to... to, uh, 
Washington, D.C., and you, you go to Arlington and you see, and especially that, that one amazing, larger than life, I mean, gigantic statue of, of planting the flag there in, in, uh, on Mount Suribachi in Iwo Jima, that, of the Marines lifting that. You know, I got a picture of one of my little sons in front of that, and he, he just, he's only five at that time, I think, Trenton, and he just, when I said smile, he just did this, you know. <laughs> It's the cutest little picture, because even at five, he realized this was something significant. This was a monument set about a significant sacrifice made, an important victory won. And the stone, not only does it preach the resurrection, but it's a trophy set up right here that says to all of the universe, death has been defeated. This is our monument to that. We don't fear it anymore because it's a defeated enemy. It is not an enemy that will defeat us. And so that stone is a trophy a monument, a tower that is set there to remind us every time we look at it because it does eat at us. We do worry about it. We do think about it. We don't want to lose our loved ones. We don't want to be separated. We wonder about our health. I understand all of that. That's the human nature we're in. Death is the wages of sin. We were created to die. It's a fallen nature, and God took care of it. And so we have this creeping sense of fear and anxiety over death all the time. But yet we can look to that stone as a monument laid that says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, I know there's a battle, but it's, it's, it's already been won. And here is the proof of it, that stone that has been rolled away. The stone preaches the resurrection. It's a sermon preached. It's also a trophy set up. But thirdly, it's a foundation laid. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And that foundation he was talking about was when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the Christ, the one who came to remove the sin of the world, the Christ who would be dead, buried, and risen again and sit at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. As I've said so many times in the last few minutes, the resurrection is the foundation of the church. And when you read articles like it was in the New York Magazine the other day, and you hear liberal theologians talk about there was no resurrection, don't be deceived. That's just like Satan going to Eve in the garden and saying, you know, God doesn't really mean what he says. You're really not going to die. There really isn't a resurrection. Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin. There really isn't a heaven. And people want to call themselves Christians and still talk like that. It's one thing if you want to be an agnostic or an atheist, but when you consider yourself a, a, a Christian and, and, and a leader, even of a seminary, not a Southern Baptist seminary, thank you, but of a seminary, was, I believe it was Union Seminary in New York, president of that seminary just basically said, yeah, the resurrection, uh, virgin birth, no, you know, it just, and it, they just water it all and they lose it all. And, and, and really, the entire foundation, those men, as I said, all of those, all of those apostles, you think they would take the beatings they took? You think they would face the gruesome death they faced if they were just lying about it? What do they have to gain from that? No, they weren't lying about it. They faced death with joy. One thing the Romans couldn't figure out was when they did take these Christians and slaughter them and feed them to the lions and throw them to the gladiators, they died with smiles on their faces bloodthirsty culture like the Romans couldn't understand that. They did it because heaven is real. The resurrection is real. And that is the foundation of our faith. 
It's a foundation upon which the church is built. And listen, Satan will do everything in the world to eat away at that foundation and to make you and I begin to doubt it and even break the church begin to doubt it. And there is no church, there is no foundation without the resurrection. So this stone is a sermon preached. This stone is a a trophy set up. This stone is a foundation laid. But notice where... Notice where the angel was. He was resting on the stone. <laughs> the stone is a rest provided. It's a rest provided. As I said, this world is a chaotic world. It's a troubled world. It's becoming more chaotic and more troubled all the time. It's a world full of grief and full of sorrows and full of anxiety and full of fears and full of difficulties and all of those things. In the midst of all of that, we look for some rest, don't we? And sometimes we can find a brief rest in a hobby. Find a brief rest in a vacation. Sometimes we can find a brief rest in some lifestyle that is unhealthy, be it drugs or abuse of alcohol or sexual relationships or whatever, something that can get us a bit of a respite from the fear and the anxiety and the dread and all the troubles that we have in this world, and we can escape for a while, but it's just for a while. But here the stone, the stone provides a rest. At the end of the day, you can say, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know, a lot of things I don't understand. There's a lot about the future I can't figure out. There's a lot that I'm anxious over, but I really don't need to be because the stone was rolled away. And I, like that angel, can go and sit down on that stone. And I want to tell you something. That stone, if you're sitting on it, it's not hard. It's a soft, comfortable inner spring mattress. It is just the most comfortable. It is the most comfortable. It just surrounds you and embraces you with the truth that you have nothing to fear, nothing to be anxious about, that you were so loved and sought after that when you didn't even look for God, he sent his son to come and redeem you. And he gave you the ability to love him. And he gave you the faith in which to believe in him. And he will hold you true until the end. And he who started this good work within you will take it through to completion. It doesn't depend on your ability to be faithful. It depends on God's promise to be faithful. And we can set on that and we can be comfortable in that, on that stone. It's a safe, rest, comfortable place to be. The stone of God's sovereignty is a great place to be. He's got it all in control. We don't have to worry about it. Everything that happens, he knows. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when a bird chirps in the Amazon forest. He knew you before you were knitted in your mother's womb. He has your days numbered. It's all happening according to his plan. If you think that's bad or that's defeatism or that's that's somehow... No, it is God's perfect plan for you because he loves you. And you can rest in that perfect sovereign plan of God. And it's a great place in a world that's chaotic and spinning out of control and we don't know what's happening and people are yelling at each other. Politics are a mess and the economy is uncertain and wars and terrorism and disease. You go, it's all right. Look at that angel. He's sitting on that rock. And I can sit there too. It's, that, that stone is a rest provided. Those are all good things. Stone is a sermon preached about the resurrection. The stone is a trophy set up about the victory of Jesus over death. The stone is a rest provided for us that we can take comfort in a very chaotic world. But the stone is also a boundary appointed. To the women, the earthquake and the stone rolled away was exciting. It made them run toward the tomb. To the soldiers, 
the earthquake and the stone rolled away was fearful, and they froze and passed out in fear. Listen to me. For some, the resurrection of Jesus is compelling and draws us to him. For others, it's like, I will never believe that. That's just a bunch of hooey. It means nothing. I'm going to tell you what. You either believe he did or you believe he didn't. It is a boundary provided. There is no in-between. You either believe he raised from the dead, and if you believe he raised from the dead, it changes everything about our lives. If you don't believe he raised from the dead, then it changes everything. There's no in-between. You can't be this mushy, well, maybe, because if you say maybe he did, well, if he did, and you don't believe, then you're going to go to hell. You're going to believe. But you really don't believe he did, because if you really believed he did, you would be like the women. You'd run to that tomb. And so we see this boundary between these strong Roman soldiers that, that, that show all the power and authority of the world. I mean, come on. Europe, in the first century, Roman soldiers, there was no more powerful entity on the face of the earth in the first century in Europe than the Roman soldiers. And they were terrified with fear. And here are these Hebrew women embracing and running toward that earthquake, toward that empty tomb. I'm telling you, the resurrection is a boundary provided. We either believe he was raised from the dead and we embrace it and it changes our life or we reject it, we walk away in sin and disbelief and face eternity as an object of God's wrath. It is a boundary provided. Bible talks a lot about boundaries. We, we like to have a mushy middle, don't we, where it doesn't really matter. We all just sort of get there in the end. I'm sorry, you can read the Bible from Genesis and the map in the back, and there's not a verse that says we all just sort of get there in the end. doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Jesus, just the opposite, said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, no person comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way, and there is a boundary provided, and that stone is a boundary. It is either a stone that you run to because it's a monument, it's a trophy, it's a rest provided, or it's a stumbling stone. And you say, I just can't believe any of that. And you walk away as those soldiers did, as dead men. And you are at that point dead men walking. Not only is it a boundary provided, but it is, dear ones, a warning proclaimed. <laughs> it's, a, it's a warning proclaimed. The God of the universe has power over everything. The Romans, that's nothing. That Roman seal, whatever. Those Roman guards, never mind. How about death itself? You want real power? How about the grave? It is, it is a warning proclaimed that there's a holy God and a just God and he's a merciful God and he's poured out his mercy on this earth and he sent his own son to, to be the, the, the object of his wrath for all who would be redeemed. But there's also an, a, there will be an end to that at some point. And there will be a holy God for all to deal with. Even those who've rejected him and don't believe in him, that same Jesus who came as that child in that feed box in Bethlehem is coming back again. And he's not coming as a child in a feed box. He's coming as a conquering king. 
And for some, it'll be the most glorious experience if, if we're fortunate enough to be alive when he comes. Then the dead in Christ will rise first, and we that remain will be caught up with him in the air. And he will come, and he will rule, and he will reign, and he will judge. And for those of us who are his children, it'll be the greatest joy, the greatest imaginable. But for those who do not know him, who have rejected the truth, those who've denied the resurrection, it'll be the most fearful, frightful day in all the universe. And for those men and women, it would be better for them to have never been born. The stone is a warning provided that this is serious stuff. This is life and death. This is God eternal, the power over the grave. You don't, deal, you don't mess with it. You're not, you're not casual with it. You don't flippant with it. That's why when we see some liberal theologians talk about, well, Jesus really didn't raise from the dead. So they're going to be very surprised terrified on that day. A songwriter named Ben Shiver wrote these words about the empty tomb, but about the second coming. He says these words, we've all heard the story all of our lives, and we still very much feel the pain of the crucified. And the end, well, it still comes as a surprise, but before the breath there in the tomb... Before Jesus sprang from the womb, God saw a day that was coming soon. Listen, when the sun would stand on that mount again with an army of angels at his command, and the earth will split like the hull of a seed wherever Jesus plants his feet, and up from the earth the dead will rise like spring trees robed in petals of white, singing the song of the radiant bride. And we will always be with the Lord. Always be with the Lord. Remember when Jesus is there in the upper room with the disciples and he's taking, says, this is the cup. There were four cups in the Passover. Jesus gets to the third cup. He never gets to the fourth cup. Do you know what the fourth cup was? The fourth cup was the cup of praise. Jesus says, I'll not share this cup with you again until in my Father's kingdom. Many, many people believe, and I, I do too, I believe he stopped with that third cup because I believe that he will share the fourth cup. You know when he's going to share the fourth cup? When he comes again in all of his power and all of his might and all of his glory. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first and the rest of us will be caught up in the air and we'll all be in this amazing banquet hall, this amazing banquet table. And he will raise the cup of praise and the heavens will praise him as they've never done before because he is the risen Lord. And it is a, it is a warning provided that there is a time coming when you will face the power of the resurrection. It'll either be something that you will be delighted in or something you will be terrified of. And so it's a very much a warning provided. So let the stone teach the lesson this morning. And when you hear about the stone being rolled away and you see that angel seated upon it, realize how much that stone has to share with us. If you're here today and you're like me, you're a follower of Christ, but daily you battle anxiety and discouragement, fear, dread, everything else, the older we get, sometimes the worse it becomes. We have to daily preach to ourselves. And one of the best ways we can preach to ourselves is to look at that stone and say, you know what? 
The seal is broken, the stone is rolled away, the angel's on it, and the tomb is empty. What more do I need? For those of you who know Christ, may this be an encouragement to you to actually live your faith accordingly, not to let it be some secondary or tertiary part of your life that you just deal with once in a while, but let it be the primary motivation of everything you are because it is the single most important thing in your life, the power of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said to the believers, I want you to know Jesus and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. Those two things go very much hand in hand, by the way. It's often in the deepest suffering that we feel the greatest power of the resurrection. But for those of you this morning who don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never, maybe you've joined a church, maybe you've been baptized, but you're not sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven. You can know that. The price has been paid. It's not based on your good works and your merit and how much you've done. I told you before, you could take everything you have and sell it and give it all to the poor. You could go to India and, and live your life helping people who are, who are desperately poor and giving everything you have. It won't buy you one minute in heaven but you can come before a holy God and acknowledge your sinfulness and turn from that sin and turn to that Savior and ask him to forgive you, and he will give you a heart of flesh, and God will clothe you in the righteousness of his Son, and he'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and he'll prepare a place for you. By the way, Jesus said in John 14, Brothers, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, of course I'm going to come again and receive you, that where I am you would be also. And if this were not true, why would I bother telling you all of this? Comfort yourself with those words. You can know this. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder, am I going to get to heaven? Am I going to make it? Jesus says, yes. You trust me, I've already got a room for you. You don't have to worry. It's not based on your merit. It's based on what I've accomplished. So this is the morning to get that settled. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. And I thank you even for this picture of the stone. A sermon preached, a trophy set up, foundation laid, a boundary appointed, and a warning provided. Each of us perhaps need a different part of that message today. So speak to us to the part that we need, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.